Ben Shapiro, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as reasonable as Ben Shapiro uh, may have been uh, uh, <laughs> on uh, the issue of the upcoming election, um, on the current state of race in America, let's do it, Ben. Hit me up. What do you, What is your opinion on the current state of race in America? The Joe Rogan experience. Well, this, this is where we get into sort of the deep philosophy point. And this is, this is actually really the, 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 the biggest problem right now in the racism point is the oh, shifting no. definition of racism. Oh, so no. I had the unfortunate experience of actually reading one of the best-selling books in the country, Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility. And let me just tell you. A All right. I've heard a lot of people talking about white fragility. I understand it made a lot of conservatives very mad. Now, I haven't had time to read it myself. Um, but I did get kind of a synopsis from a person I trust. And as I understand it, it's a pretty, uh, it's a decent look at um, race in America. The issue is it's framed through this kind of condescending liberal framework that I don't think is of the best, I don't, I don't, I don't think it best serves our, um, our, our interests when it comes to best. Well, you know what? What do I know? Maybe if the book was just called like a treatise on race in America, nobody would have paid attention to it, to it. But by naming it something that triggers conservatives, it got a bunch of attention it wouldn't have otherwise gotten. I don't know. What do I know about marketing? Greater pile of horseshit has never been produced by a bevy of horses. It is an awful book. And it is. Wow. Do you. Mr. Ben Shapiro. First of all, that is literally impossible. Um, while, uh, it is true that, uh, books are produced, um, in, in, in some cases from biological material, uh, that biological material is in traditional printing press, very rarely, uh, uh, uh one made from fecal metal. Uh, uh, uh so no, no matter how many, uh, books you printed, uh, it would in fact not be able to equate, uh, 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 the, the, the amount of horseshit made by the, the, the greatest possible number of horses. Basically rooted in the same theory as Ibram Kendi's how to be an anti-racist, the, the basic definition of racism changes in this theory. So racism, you and I were sitting here discussing racism, and the way I define racism is probably the same way you define racism. You believe in the inferiority or superiority of a group based on race. No, that is not, no. Nobody uses the definition, nobody uses, in practical terms. So hold on. Do you recognize, okay, wait, I'm going to try and be a little bit fair here. Do you recognize that in order to achieve parity, that is to say, to avoid discrimination um, against people for their race, uh, uh, so that we all have, you know, equal starting chances in life, unaffected by our skin color or our ethnicity or what have you, do you recognize that that definition of racism is not adequate for addressing all of the potential imbalance between uh, the races with regards to their social treatment. The issue with the conservative definition of racism is that it begins and ends at burning crosses. That's it. So Ben Shapiro can talk about how you're a lazy degenerate if you listen to rap music, have your pants sagging, and don't fold your brim. And even though any sensible person in the world, any sensible person in the world, could look at that and think, okay, he's talking about black people here. He's talking about black people here. Or when Fox News spent the entirety 
of the George W. Bush and Obama presidencies using the word thug any time it was a black person who had committed a crime? Now, neither of these things on their own intrinsically belie a belief in the inferiority or superiority of any given racial group, but they reinforce the beliefs of other people who may think that way, and they tend to belie those thoughts internally in the minds of people who do feel that way. We can't change how people think, at least not directly. I mean, they can change their mind. But we can, to an extent, uh, control how people behave, the same way we do when we try to have people behave with good manners in public, or we try to keep people from putting their elbows on the dinner table, or we try to keep people from, I don't know, blowing snot bubbles. Uh, yes, I misused the term belie. My apologies. I'll work on it. The fact of the matter is, um, the racial imbalance of this country is in large part uh, a product of direct bias and is also in large part a product of historical forces that don't need current modern-day direct bias um, to function. A good example of this is redlining. Um, it used to be the case that uh, 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 black people are just... Um, were relegated to certain parts of large cities, and that was the only place they could live, and nobody would sell them any property or rent to them in other areas. And usually these redlined areas were pretty crap. They weren't the best parts of town. Um, <clears throat> ben Shapiro still denies that redlining still exists. Yes, but that's the thing. That's irrelevant. First of all, I don't need to prove that people still engage in redlining to prove the fact that black people are still largely in the same areas they were redlined into. You see, if you force a racial group of people into a given part of a town 50 years ago, because of how life works, it's likely that those people are still going to be in that area. That 50 years of time with no redress is not enough time to just completely randomize the distribution of all people's households by race in a city again. In fact, right now, even though redlining is illegal, the effects of redlining are as strong today in much of America as they were back before, um, uh, back before uh, the end of Jim Crow. Because, as it turns out, it's not enough to just get rid of the... Um, racist laws, you have to fix the damage the racist laws did. If you're having a race with somebody, and you shoot them, because you're an asshole, and they keep hopping along on one leg, you shot them in the leg, I guess, you're probably gonna, you know, run quite a bit faster. But then 50 years pass, and somebody passes a law saying you can't shoot them no more. Well, that's great. It helps them out. What the fuck are you gonna do about that wound, though? Untreated, you know, a gunshot wound doesn't doesn't heal up too well. Um, it's not enough to just not do the bad thing again. Of an individual based on their membership in that group too, right? That would be racism. That's I racist. believe that you're inferior yes. or you're superior based on your race. End of story, right? That's that's racism. That's racist. So Robin DiAngelo and Ibram Kendi redefine racism to mean any societal structure that results in a racial inequality is itself racist. So any Yeah. Yeah, by definition. So any social structure 
which leads to a bias with regards to the outcomes between racial groups, would by definition have a racial bias, and a racial bias is racist. This is, this is all sort of a priori. This is uh, very much a by definition uh, sort of issue here. Any structure that results in a not exact proportion between whites and blacks. Does that make the NBA racist? Exactly. Exactly. The answer is kind of yes, except that. Yeah. The, um, the social and environmental conditions by which um, people uh, 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 join the NBA are undeniably racial bias, uh, racially biased. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, of course, obviously. One of the reasons why the NBA is so full of black folks, it's not just because of like a genetic difference, though there might be something, I don't know, um, a, a significant part of it is because um, a, a basketball is very heavily tied to black culture, um, as we understand it. And for that reason, young uh, black kids in, in, the, in, you know, in the hood um, are very often sort of taught that getting good at basketball is one of their only ways out of that hellhole. So because that unique pressure is on them, more black kids are going to, a larger pool of future NBA players are going to come from that pool than they would from others. That is, yes, that is absolutely a, um, a, 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 a product of racial bias, yeah. Now the difference is, and here's the, here's the kicker, the difference is which racial biases are important enough to be worth redressing and which ones are not on their own that harmful. I don't really think the relative racial proportions in professional basketball players are like a big social issue, in my personal opinion. I would make the argument that um, racial imbalances in uh, which parts of the city folks live in are actually a pretty big deal. The NBA is not racist because obviously it benefits black people, right? I mean, now, the NBA is not racist in, except the, it's because it's a meritocracy is the reason the NBA is not racist. Right. But Robin D'Angelo and Kendi both suggest that meritocracy is an aspect of whiteness. They say that meritocracy and individual are aspects of whiteness because these institutions, things like meritocracy and individualism and not seeing people's colors, these just reinforce hierarchies that end with disparate outcomes. Well, you're misquoting a little bit. Uh, yes. If, you're, if you do the whole colorblind thing, yeah, obviously you're reinforcing uh, racist tendencies. Obviously. If you don't see color, you don't see biases by color either. That's how it works. No shit. You're not going to see racial bias if you ignore race when it comes to social. So like, oh, I don't see any racism because I don't see any race. Well, yeah, of course. Well, yes, you've sort of. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously. And if you gouge your eyes out, you probably won't notice the, the peeling wallpaper either. It's not really a solution to the issue. Now, when it comes to meritocracy and individualism, it's not those two things on their own. It's the narratives around both of them. Like what you just said, Ben Shapiro, the idea that a meritocracy cannot be racist. We don't have any meritocracies in this country. There's no such thing as a pure meritocracy. Everything that goes through a social system, everything, is funneled through the biases and prejudices both of the individuals who work within it, the individuals who go through it, and all of the experiences they've had beforehand as well. There's no such thing as a pure meritocracy. It's conceptually impossible. Unless we're talking about some, like, extraordinarily hypothetical, uh, uh, um, 
you know, a game jury rigged to be perfect with regards to that particular outcome. But when it comes to social institutions, it's just not a thing. Same with individualism. There's nothing wrong with individualism in the sense of individual rights and liberties. But when you start going down the road of, well, uh, I don't really see that it's an issue that uh, 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 all black uh, neighborhoods have a significantly higher rate of um, high school dropouts and have far lower funding for the um, for the classes. Uh, if they want better education, what they could do is they could just drive two hours to the next school district and they could drive back if they individually want to achieve. There's nothing wrong with uh, surpassing the environment they were born into. The myth of individualism is usually a way of obfuscating statistical uh, probabilities. Any individual can excel. But to excel is to be the exception. That is what the word means. And so what they say is in order to be anti-racist, you have to want to tear down the entire system. They literally say this. I'm not, I'm not yeah. really, I know that I'm not misidentifying the argument because, I've, again, I've read their books. I mean, you, you already did a bit, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, system's pretty racist. The, the basic notion that to be anti-racist, you have to tear down free markets or you have to tear down free... We don't have any free markets. I don't know what that means. ...speech. Or I don't know what we're talking about. Ter what the fuck does he mean, tearing down free speech? Notice how uh, he was just very particular about identifying the arguments made in the book, but now he's assigning to them the idea that... I'm sorry, I haven't read it. In White Fragility, do they say they need to destroy free speech? Do they ever say that in the book? Or does somewhere in the book, does it say bosses shouldn't be able to call their black employees the N-word? And Ben Shapiro is sort of extrapolating this anti-free speech position from that. Or you have to, and what that means is, of course, that anytime there's rioting and looting, that's really just an expression of outrage at the broader American system. And so it justifies that sort of stuff. This is why you saw Nicole Hannah-Jones, the de facto editor of the New York Times 1619 Project lady, tweeting out that she appreciated that people were calling these the 1619 riots. Yeah. And our country was literally founded on, on riots and looting. I don't, I just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm too, I'm too much, I'm too much of a patriot to, um, I'm too much of a patriot to understand this weird, this loyalist talk, this, this King George talk from Ben Shapiro. Um, it is literally written into our constitution that rioting, protesting, challenging the government, these are not only natural you know, uh, 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 forms of political organization. These are actually desirable ones uh, in the face of injustice. And seeing as how the academic consensus on the existence of systemic racism is overwhelming, that's the reason why you types never engage with it. You find, like, offhand data points that you can cherry-pick to support a argument that was provided to you by the billionaires who fund you. Um... Uh, 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 that's, like, the, the, the justification is laid bare. Um, for significant challenge to the United States government for the betterment of its citizenry. Um, but you wouldn't understand that, because I guess you don't understand the intent of our founding fathers. Because once you say America is rooted in slavery and rooted in evil and a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad place, then robbing a shop is just the latest iteration of you fighting the system. Well, no. Um, even people on the left have, been, have condemned the looters. We just don't, we don't have, we don't, so, okay, hold on. Nobody, or at least very few people, 
actively support the looters. What we do is say that fixating on the looters as though they're the real issue here is something conservatives do to avoid addressing the legitimacy of the protests. The looting happened for like one day at the beginning of all this. There was one burst of looting in Minneapolis and a couple other cities. And after that, over the past two months, it has been fairly consistent directed protests with violence being overwhelmingly acted on against protesters by the police, often illegally and against the orders of judges. Now, is the looting good? No. Especially when it targets small businesses. That shit really sucks. Um, for a, and I talked about that months ago when it first started happening. But the fact remains nonetheless that to fixate on that looting and to make that the face of BLM is to force a, 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 um, a, a lack of a conversation on the issues BLM is actually about. Conservatives did this with Martin Luther King Jr. as well. And, and you goddamn know that Ben Shapiro would be a segregationist 60 years ago. They said the same thing about Martin Luther King Jr. They would ignore his message. And they would talk about how he was just a rabble rouser who led black people to burn down cities. It's a very common talking point then. It's a very common talking point now. So if we want to actually keep looting from happening in the future, how about we address the issues that lead people to loot? Explain the 1619 correlation to people, if you would. Sure. So the 1619 Project is, uh. is something put forward by the New York Times. It's not good history. There are four Pulitzer Prize-winning historians who have said this is not good history. The and many, many who have said that it's perfect. No, for, okay. The 1619 Project has itself won uh, a Pulitzer Prize. And no, uh, the uh, 1619 Project is a, essentially a collaborative um, narrative project on the history of America and its relationship to slavery. There have been some historians who have questioned minor historical inaccuracies within the narrative presented by 1619, but there are not four Pulitzer Prize-winning historians who have unilaterally condemned the 1619 Project. And it has, generally speaking, received very positive uh, um, attention and very positive reception, both from the journalistic and the historical communities. The basic argument is the United States was not founded in 1776 with the principles of the Declaration of Independence. The, the country was actually founded in 1619 with the importation of African slaves to American shores, because that's when the first African slave arrived in the United States was 1619. So the idea is that the entire history of America is a history of a system that is endemically white supremacist. And True. And that all of the Declaration of Independence is basically a lie. That the principles of all... You mean the document that said all men are created equal and was written by slave owners might have been a little bit dishonest? You, you mean a document rooted in the belief in the fundamental and inalienable right to liberty being written by slave owners? Might have, there might have been like a little bit of a little issue with that one, possibly? These people get so defensive about the history of slavery, it's pretty wacky. You'd think that if these people actually cared about America and cared about meritocracy, they would be the first one up to bat to condemn slavery, con to condemn racial bias, because they actually want to live in a world like the one they describe it as. But every time they talk about 
slavery, they get really defensive. They get defensive about the conservative flag. Uh, sorry, conservative flag. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, they get defensive about the Confederate flag. They get defensive about the history of slavery. They get defensive about the existence of systemic racism. They get defensive about comments on black culture. They, they All the time, it's so weird. You'd think they'd be so on board with trying to make America a meritocracy when its history is rooted in supremacy. All men are created equal. That was a lie when it was written, and it's a lie now. That the idea that we have rights that pre-exist government, that's a lie. All of these things are lies. The Constitution was built in order to enshrine white supremacy. And no I evolution mean, has taken place. So they, don't, they, they, they essentially make the argument that from 1619 to 2020 is a continuum. Racism has gone underground a little bit, but it's still there, and it's still, it's yeah. still implicit in all of our systems. Yeah. So the 1619 Project has essays blaming literally everything on racism. So disparities well, in... No, they're not blaming everything on racism. They're blaming a lot of stuff on racism. They don't blame everything on racism. Eternal mortality between black women and white women, which, by the way, exist in Europe and in Canada. That's whoa. I'm sorry. Differences in medical treatment between black and white people can't be racist because it also happens in Canada and Europe. Countries with no racism. A little weasel. That's due to American racism. Traffic patterns. No, it's just due to race. You can't. When you say blank is a product of American racism, and then you point out it exists elsewhere, that's not an argument against the thesis that is being presented. The hypothesis is not being challenged there, because it could very well be the case that the conditions that made America racist also existed in some form in other countries. I w I really wonder what Ben Shapiro's argument for why. Uh, black maternal mortality rates are higher than white maternal mortality rates. Why that could possibly be that has nothing to do with racism. Does he think like the 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 negroid hip bones can't spread? Is it the culture? You see, black people have a culture of not pushing when the doctor tells them to push. I could actually see him saying this. I can hear it in my head. You see... Um, well, uh, they have a culture when a, a doctor, usually a white doctor, uh, the, this country is majority white, of course, um, when a, a white doctor says, push, uh, the, the black culture is in, all, is, is in large part about uh, rejecting, um, you know, sort of the, the, the whiteness, rejecting, uh, uh, you know, the, the cultures this country was founded upon. So the, these black, these pregnant black mothers, they don't push. Uh, when they're told to push. And what this leads to naturally is a higher rate of uh, mortality amongst uh, uh, pregnant mothers. Does, can you not imagine him saying that? I feel because they'll go to any length to avoid acknowledging that there's a racial bias in some respect. What do, do they think? Like, do they think like 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 black women are like worse at knowing when they're pregnant? I have no idea. I have no idea. In the United States, is due to systematic American racism. Every racial disparity is attributable to a system that was rooted in slavery. Now, yeah. Dude, slavery ended like 140 years ago. That's, that's like a handful of generations. There are people alive today whose parents lived under Jim Crow, legal segregation. And there are people alive today whose grandparents were raised by people who were slaves. It's and nothing has been done about it. We've made black people legally equal, but we haven't healed the divide. We, we haven't fixed the bullet wound.
It's ridiculous. When conservatives make this argument, they're trying to rely on an intuitive rejection of the premise that slavery could still have an effect on modern society, and that could only be intuitive to an idiot. I refuse to believe that any remotely educated person could possibly think like, oh yeah, well, slavery was 140 years ago. It can't possibly have an impact on modern American society. No! I, I don't know. Yeah, this would be... Um, this would be uh, Ben Shapiro. Back in, uh, back in, 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 the, in the 60s. The text says, I plan to lead another nonviolent march tomorrow. And nonviolent has been uh, underlined in red, in pen, by the person who scanned this, however long ago it was scanned. It's, it's the same. Uh, the arguments don't change. You know how feminists uh, today, according to skeptics on YouTube, just hate men and they're ugly and they can't fuck men, so they hate men and they want to be mean to men? It's taken straight from uh, anti-suffrage propaganda a literal century ago. Nothing changes with these folks. Same arguments. The traditional notion of America is that America was founded in 1776, and that the story of America is that America did tolerate the great original sin of slavery up until the Civil War, and then tolerated Jim Crow up until the Civil Rights Movement of the 19th Is that a lie? Wait, by what definition is that not true? And that the story of America is that America did tolerate the great original sin of slavery up until the Civil War, and then tolerated Jim Crow up until the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And that is a great stain and a blot on America. But the story of America is trying to fulfill the promises of the Declaration of Independence over time, make those promises available to everybody. And this isn't my argument. This is Martin Luther King Jr.'s argument when he talks on the, in the March in Washington about fulfilling the promissory note of the Declaration of Independence. He says, we're here to cash the check, right? You issued us the check, and then you didn't let black Americans be Americans. We're here to cash the check. This is the argument Frederick Douglass, the freed slave, makes in 1852. He makes a famous speech before slavery is ended. And he says, July 4th doesn't mean anything to black Americans because we're not included in the bargain. Include us in the bargain. The story of America is the Declaration of Independence, those principles that we should all basically still agree on because they're pretty good principles. Free speech, free assembly, all the things you see in the Constitution that those things brought about greater freedom and prosperity than anything else and helped us overcome the sins that are present in all human societies and were present in... Okay, so there's a lot of stuff wrong right here. First of all, Ben, you can shut the fuck up about Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass. They were both socialists and both of them would have kicked your ass for invoking their words in your argument as to why racism doesn't exist anymore, okay? It is so disgusting the way conservatives have tried to retroactively claim, I wish you would just be honest and just call him the N-word and say you don't give a fuck, say that things were better back in Jim Crow, which is an argument you guys make frequently, by the way, that blacks were better off back in Jim Crow. Ben Shapiro has made that argument, to my memory, um, because of like higher crime rates or something. Because, as it turns out, after Jim Crow ended, there were other things that uh, the American government and the American population did to preserve the fundamental racial relations in this country. Now, what Ben Shapiro is saying here is a half-truth. It is true that Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. both appealed to the values of the Constitution while making their arguments. Was Frederick Doug Douglass a socialist? Wait, was he? Wait, hold on. I could be misspeaking there. Um, Frederick, I thought I remember. Am I thinking of Du Bois? 
No, Frederick Douglass was not a socialist. My apologies. Am I thinking of W.E.B. Du Bois? Du Bois. Yes, I was thinking of Du Bois. My apology. Du Bois. Du Bois. I've actually heard a lot of, um, a lot of people um, tell me it's pronounced different ways. I think it's Du Bois because he rejected the French origins of his name. So rather than Du Bois, it was Du Bois. Um, that's what I'd heard, that he, he rejected the French, which we all should do, by the way. We should all reject, um, degenerate Franco influences, uh, into our culture. So, a king move, uh, from him. Anyway, yes, my apologies, Frederick Douglass, not, uh, a, a, a socialist. Nonetheless, I am exceedingly confident that, uh, Frederick Douglass would nonetheless be disgusted by Ben Shapiro's attempt to obfuscate the, the existence of systemic racism. Now, let's talk about the half-truth here. It is true that um, Douglas and King both um, uh, used the... Um, both used the arguments laid forth by the Constitution as a way of arguing for their own rights, for their own freedom. Um, but here's the thing, Ben. Here's the thing. The reason they could do that is because there was a hypocrisy between the things the Constitution said and the things that actually were happening. The premise of the 1619 Project is that the Constitution was a lie, the freedoms this country were founded on was a lie, and to argue against that point, you cite two examples of black activists pointing out the hypocrisy between the treatment of black people and the language used in the founding documents. So that is actually an argument to our credit, Ben, because you are literally citing people whose arguments support the premise of the 1619 Project. Absurd. I can't believe he said that. I, I, it's insane to me. This, this guy, this is one of the most well-known political commenters in America. And he lit like, huh, the premise of the 1619 Project is a lie. The idea that the, the, idea that the, the, the Constitution, the founding documents were lies, this is preposterous. Just listen to King and, and, and Douglas, who both argued that there was a hypocrisy with how those documents were treating them. What? Come on, man. Well, in the United States in extreme ways as well. But that's the, that's the counter narrative, right? The 1619 Project says that all that was basically nonsense and that America is just a, a history of whites keeping blacks down and that no progress has essentially been made. If there is progress, it's mostly a lie. And so. No, the 1619 Project does not say there has been no progress. I have read significant portions of the 1619 Progress. It's saying that the fundamental relations between the races have not changed. That from this country's inception to today, uh, August 1st, 2020, the fundamental truth that the systems that we use are in place to keep white people in a position of privilege above, above black people. This, these systems have remained unchanged. That is the argument laid forth. Not that there's no fundamental difference between black people's treatment today and literal chattel slavery. So every disparity now... Project, not progress. ...can be attributed to historic disparities between white and black. Is there... That is how history works, yes. That is how causality works. 
there a middle ground? So if we look at 1776 and we look at the Declaration of Independence and we look at America today in 2020, do it, Joe. I'm rooting for you, Joe. Please, God, do it, Joe. I need something. I need a. I need a, a, a little snack break between Benny Boy's Theater Hour. Okay, I need you to come in. I need you to give give us something. Okay, please, Joe. Please help me. There clearly is some impact in the echoes of slavery, and then after that, Jim Crow. There's clearly some impact in these deeply impoverished communities that don't seem to advance. Yes. So the, to, to, to make the argument about institutional racism, there, there's a couple ways you can read this. When people say systemic racism or institutional racism, I usually ask them to be a little more specific in what they mean, because there are a few ways you can read that. One is history has impact. Of course, that's true, right? That's true for everybody. That is the premise of the 1619 Project. See... This is the thing conservatives will do all the time. If you get them to really hammer on the definitions, they'll have to agree with you. You'll have to say, okay, listen, you recognize that causality is a thing, right? And there is not a 100% randomized life experience, no matter your birth circumstances, that the circumstances of your birth will affect your life to some extent. Okay, yes. And then you get them to admit, okay, well... If black people have historically been in a disadvantaged position, then, then sort of probabilistically, even with no additional oppression, even if it was completely removed, which I'm not granting, by the way, um, it would then naturally follow, it would logically follow, in your own terms, that there would be an imbalance between the races today, which, are, which is a product of that historical oppression. And then they would go, okay, yeah, I can see that. And then I would go, okay, so there is, the, the history of racism affects black people's position today. And then they would go, no, no, I don't, no. There, no, there's no racism today. Systemic racism is over. It's literally the SpongeBob meme, or the Patrick meme, wh whatever it is, with, with mermaid, the, the manta ray, you know? Yeah, yeah, with the wallet. It's that fucking meme with these people. It's true in your family history. But if you have a grandfather who went, to, who went to prison on a particular charge, that leads to poverty right. for your parents, which led to more poverty for you, right? People have histories. Those histories oh. are embedded in their life experiences. Oh. And that's true for societies as well. All of that is for sure true. Oh. Then there's the question as to whether the institutions today are racist. No, 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 no. All we need to do is prove the former to prove that there is a bias that is, uh, that is explainable only by racism. Because Jim Crow was racism, on the books, inarguable. Slavery was racism, on the books, inarguable. We don't have to prove the latter. Now, if I wanted to prove the latter, I could go to a document where I've collected a fuck ton of corroborated, cited links, specifically on the subject of systemic racism and the ways in which there is ongoing bias today in our systems uh, police, the courts, traffic stops, stop, uh, uh, stop and search, stop and frisk, um, death uh, uh, penalty sentencing, uh, over-policing, police militarization, it's all there. And we could, make, we could have an argument on whether or not there is systemic racism actively biasing outcomes today, to which the answer is there is. This is not argued 
in the criminal sciences. It's not. It's not argued. The, the extent to which it exists is argued. Um, where it exists is argued. The details are argued. But much like the Holocaust, just because there is discourse within a given framework does not mean that you can invalidate the entirety of the data on the subject. This is something I deal a lot with when I argue with Nazis. They will cite the existence of disagreement on certain issues um, as evidence that the entirety of the issue uh, doesn't exist. So because historians can't decide whether 5.8 million or 6.14 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, therefore, there's disagreement. Nobody really knows. Maybe it didn't happen at all. That is what Ben Shapiro was doing here, um, essentially. Uh, there is... Well, actually, in his case, he's doing the other thing Nazis do, where he'll just say the entire science is fake. The Nazis will say that the uh, that 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 um, historians are controlled by Jews, um, and people like Ben Shapiro will say they're controlled by woke-brained SJW libcucks. And in both cases, they get to conveniently ignore an enormous amount of data and information. Uh, so the arguments remain fundamentally the same in either case, but. One way or another, Ben, we do not even need to have a discussion on whether there is active bias being perpetuated today. If there is, guys, let me ask you something. If it turns out that a huge amount of bias in the outcomes between black and white people today is a product of inevitable historical outcomes following Jim Crow and slavery, do we not? have, a, 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 as anti-racists, as Ben Shapiro occasionally alleges to be, uh, an obligation to address that? I would think we do. I mean, if we don't like racism, we have, and we acknowledge that this is a product of racism, we have to do something about it, don't we? If you want to see the doc, by the way, you can just Google Vosh Ultimate Research Document, by the way. I'm pretty sure it's on my Reddit. And that's not quite the same thing, right? Because history has consequences is not the same thing as saying the rules today are racist because the rules today are not racist actually the rules today are quite not racist so but well hold on ben hold on ben even if the rules aren't racist which i'm not granting to you what if the implementation of those rules is in large part up to the discretionary values of the millions of people who work within our systems and those people might be inequitably applying those rules. This is all such 101 stuff. Did you know that Ben Shapiro went to Harvard? I didn't go to Harvard. Historically, it's fairly recent. If you go from the civil rights movement to 2020, we're really not talking about that much time. We're, we're talking three about generations, 50 but plus years. 60 years, yeah. yeah I mean, it's 50 but, plus. Right, in, but, in the but, world of. Listen to this little fucking weasel. Joe's like, it's about 50 years. Uh, yeah, 60 years, but no one's counting. Jesus Christ. See, Ben, ben just talked about how we're a product of our history, we're a product of histor historical, circumstances, uh, historical circumstances. But then but then Joe Rogan's like, yeah, we are a product of our historical circumstances. It was only 50 years ago. And Ben's like, whoa, whoa, 60 years ago, three generations. Not that big of a deal. Notice how he'll capitulate the argument up front, but then he'll retreat off of it and make the other person once again have to point out that history has consequences. Very dishonest rhetorical tactic. 
you know, in history, the vast span of human history, it's, it's not very a very small amount of time. Right. So clearly, there's some impact of both racism Absolutely. and then Jim Crow laws. So that that's where I'm saying there's a middle ground. Yeah, and and it's in dem- it, it is important for people on my side of the aisle, conservatives, to acknowledge and recognize the importance of of history in people's living situations now, and it's important. I have never seen a conservative in my entire life acknowledge that there are biases biases and outcomes today as a product of historical racism. I have never seen that in my life. I have never seen that. I have never, ever, ever seen that. He just conceded the entire argument, by the way. Biases. I have never seen a conservative make that argument. But he just conceded all of it. Okay, Ben. So you acknowledge that there is, in fact, a longstanding historical racial bias as a natural product of history. And therefore, there is systemic racism. That's it. That's the definition right there. Systems like housing, systems like education, systems like family income. Yeah, we did it. That it, in, in all seriousness, if this was a debate with Ben Shapiro, we would not have to proceed past this point because Ben Shapiro has conceded the only argument he would need to concede for me to win that position. Okay, so we acknowledge systemic racism exists as a product of historical circumstances. Let's get to work. Yes, BLM's in the right, boys. Or then we could argue, like, in what way is BLM tackling this? Is it the right way? But the point is, that's a concession. But Ben Shapiro will then continue to go on and talk about how there's no systemic racism in America, even though he just acknowledged there is. Because when he says systemic racism, what he's meaning in his mind, so he can backpedal his way out of it if challenged is uh systemic racism to him means like a judge is actively racist and thinks black people are subhuman or like a politician passes a law that says black people are worse than white people he for his definition of systemic racism he narrows it to such a fine and to such a um uh opaque uh, degree that it becomes functionally meaningless for describing systemic racism in the way that it's affected by the historical precedent that black people have experienced. I apologize if I'm getting a little bit wordy here. I feel like this is my, I feel like this video can be my seminal thesis on systemic racism. I've been looking for an opportunity, you know, to really, to, to talk about all the stuff rather than just about the document or just talk with some brain dead Nazi for two hours or just talk about this or just talk about that. And I'm happy to talk about it in this context because this is every argument you're going to hear from a conservative. For people on the other side of the aisle to at the same time not attribute every single thing to history because right. but people there born- always something like that. There's always like extremes on each position and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but I don't think that it lies. Thanks, Joe. It's as far in, in the dead center of that as people, I think, want it to. Mm. What I mean by that is the problems that have plagued communities in the United States, not just the black community in the United States, but problems of racism or problems of sexism. The way those get alleviated is people making better choices over time. No, this is factually incorrect. And this is what the 1619 people mean when they say the myth of individualism is a way of perpetuating white supremacy. No, you don't elevate entire racial groups 
by having them make better decisions over time. By its nature, decision-making is an individual process. People are, as you acknowledged, a product of their environment. You improve the environment to improve the decision-making. There's a reason why people who go and have better access to education make better life decisions. There's a reason why you can correlate a fuck ton of good decision making, good financial decision making, good family decision making, so on and so forth, to better education. Because you were invited. Oh, unless you think like the toddler is making the enlightened decision to go to preschool instead of to stay at home and shit yourself. No. As people who want to make society better, we can do two things. We can try to change something, or we can do nothing. As it stands, as Ben Shapiro has acknowledged, things are not presently just as a product of historical circumstances. If you say, well, just make better decisions, you're essentially saying do nothing, and then when things don't get better, blame it on the individual decision-making of the people who are doing it. Yeah, the, the individual sentences that Ben Shapiro utters have very little to do with one another. He goes back and forth between conceding a position to attacking that position. It's, um, it's, it's very much like a brain pretzel. It's very much doublethink. I don't know the extent to which he's aware of it, um, but it is 100% something that he is doing. Um, and this is how the myth of individualism perpetuates uh, white supremacy. You have a system where both on account of historical bias and current bias, black people are kept subjugated to an extent. And then you have people like Ben Shapiro, who are paid by billionaires to be the mouthpiece of the system, uh, talking about how it's actually a product of black poor decision-making that leads them here. But I ask you this, where do decisions come from but two places, environment and genetics, nature versus nurture? I ask you, friends, where do decisions come from? They can only come from one of those two places, the internal or the external, from within or from without. And invariably, if you are making the argument that black people just make worse decisions and you're not willing to accept an environmental argument for that, you are saying they are genetically inferior. I know that sounds like a reach, but that is the only possible conclusion. If you believe otherwise, well, where, why do they make bad decisions? Because of their culture? Why is their culture worse? Well, I don't know. Oh, well, you don't know. Fascinating. Well, I have an argument. If there is any argument for black culture being worse, may perhaps it be a product of them being a subjugated population that has grown incredibly defensive and has had to survive and adapt under much worse economic circumstances than their white contemporaries and peers? And that might lead, perhaps, to an imbalance in the priorities? Of, uh, of, of, of uh, people who grow up in black communities? Well, if that's the case, then that's a product of historical racism. It's genetics or environment. We can change environment, Ben. So that's what we aim to do. I don't know. If you have a genetic explanation, which I feel you might in your head that you're afraid to say out loud, judging from some of the stuff you've said about Arabs, Palestinians, and black people in the past, then you should just say it, and we can have that argument. It's not like I haven't argued with people over the black-white IQ gap before, either. Right, that is the problem. That, that's the way that those issues get alleviated. When Jews arrived in the United States in the, in the early 20th century to talk of my people, when they, when they came, they were impoverished, they didn't speak the language, they were banned from country clubs, there was open discrimination against them, they were banned from Harvard, right? Harvard Law School had quotas on Jews. The, 
the way to fight against that is to make good decisions. And so the... You notice how vacuous that is. You can only ever just say it, good decisions. Nothing else, no. Like, you, you can't actually elucidate the specific decision-making. The history of Jews coming into America is very, very different from the history of black people in America, like, by a massive degree. It's true that Jews have been historically discriminated against, but they also, in what way are Jews doing well? Well, um, a lot of Jews were in, uh, uh, put in uh, uh, positions of relative financial privilege due to experience they got from banking in the old world because they were the only people, they were forced into those positions uh, uh, by Catholics who felt usury was a, uh, was a sin. Um, so in many ways, the material success of the Jewish population in America is a product of historical reality for them, which is biased in some ways positively in their favor with regards at least to their position in banking and negatively in many, many other ways, because Jews are still very much an oppressed minority. You fight against the system to make sure... He's just saying he believes his race to be superior to others. Oh, uh, 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 Ben is 100% a Jewish supremacist. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I, would not then, I would not doubt it uh, uh, for even a moment. If, uh, if, if Ben, like, muttered himself to sleep every night talking about how one day, like, the Gentiles will see. Like, he sees somebody on Twitter, like a guy like me, like a white guy, you know, who's not Jewish, making some comment about his sister's giant milkies. And he, like, clenches his little fists. One day. I have a feeling. It's just my personal opinion. Sure that the system has rules that apply equally to everyone. Right, but, but you clearly see that there's a big difference between people coming over here willingly and doing so in order Joe. to better their lives versus someone whose ancestors were dragged over here to be sold as property what? and then dealing with the repercussions Joe. of that being your family history and red line laws and all the other things that were put in place to sort of keep them in very specific areas which to this day remain crime-ridden, gang-ridden, deeply impoverished communities. What? That's true, but the question is how much of that is historic redlining and how much of that is an 18-year-old kid today deciding to pep a gun and shoot somebody? But Why does the 18-year-old kid decide to do that, Ben? 18-year-old kids in wealthy neighborhoods don't just pull out handguns and rob stores, Ben. There might be an underlying socioeconomic difference there, Ben. How much of that 18-year-old kid today deciding to pick up a gun and shoot somebody Joe. is based on him Joe. growing up in this fucked up environment Joe. where that's what he models, where everything around him is crime and gangs and you imitate Joe. your atmosphere, which is what all humans do. Right, but the answer is- Joe! Oh, Joe! Oh, Joe! By the way- even in what Ben Shapiro said earlier when he made that stupid fucking 18-year-old kid with a gun comment, even with regards to that, you don't have to prove 100% of the disparity is down to historical racism. If you can prove any amount of that disparity is a product of racism, systemic racism exists, and thus, attempts to address it are valid and justified. So he already conceded that. Ben Shapiro has already conceded the entire argument that is necessary. Now, obviously, we can go a lot further than that, because Ben Shapiro is fractally incorrect. And Joe's holding him to the... Joe's holding him to account. Let's do it! There's only one way to break that chain. What, what way is that? That way is to not pick up a gun and shoot somebody. I think... Brilliant, Ben! What a big brain... Uh, well, the only way to prevent people from committing crime is if they just decide not to do crime. I'm a very... I went to Harvard. 
I get paid millions of dollars as a political commentator. Fucking brilliant, Ben. Why don't they just Why don't they just not do the crime? That That's incredible. Have you tried telling them that? That's fucking crazy, bro. Holy shit. Meaning that's that a simplistic way of looking at it if you're on the outside <laughs> of that community and you're not one of those 18-year-old kids that grows up with the incredible influence of all the people around him and that's all you see and that's all you know. Well, but the problem is the only way that's going to be the thing that your kid doesn't know is for you not to do it. At some point, personal agency God, has I to can't. come in. He's so smart. How do you do it, Ben? The, the only way to not do crime is to just not do it. How do you know? God, this is god damn make make this fucking guy a uh, fucking supreme court justice i want to hear his fucking ruling decisions dude holy shit yeah this is an argument against police why do we have police if people should if we don't want people to do crime they should just not do it why should we dedicate social resources to changing environments such that people don't commit crime why why even have crime they either do it or they don't ben you're on the full-on abolition train. I know there are people watching right now who may be conservative-leaning or not on board with me and everything I say. And I want to say, if Ben is arguing against the idea... Toss a coin to your stream, thank you. you if Ben is arguing against the idea of changing environment to lessen crime, you are arguing against police. Because that is what police exist to do. Police exist... Why was that so loud? I turned it down. Um, police exist to mitigate crime through deterrence and to remove people from society if they commit a crime uh, uh, and to manage disputes and what have you. But why, would, why should we be spending billions of dollars? I ask you, why are we spending billions of dollars when we could just not do crime? Does, because but the, well, education, education, and and teaching them about personal agency, and and letting them understand that there is a way out of this, and that the path that they see being replicated over and over again by these people that wind up dying young, that wind up going to jail, that there are other options. There's a lot of kids that never get that other information, or if they get it, they get little blips of it, but the vast majority of the information, the vast majority of the influence they get is terrible. Well, the, the, I, I told. This is in. Uh, I am. I am so astonished by this because you know who got ahead of this. You know who's. Who, you know who's more progressive on this issue than Ben Fucking Shapiro. The Catholic Church, circa one billion years ago, or however fucking long that church has been around. You know what the as I understand it, you know what the ruling is on whether or not you get to go to heaven if you're um if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. If you never had a chance. To hear the word of Jesus Christ, you don't go to hell for not believing in him. So, in 1572, if you were some Southeast Asian fisher, and then you die, and you never heard of Jesus, you don't go to hell. I would go to hell if I died. I've heard the word of Christ, and I remain an atheist. But they would not, because the people who made up the stories about who would go to hell and who would go to heaven recognized that a just God would not condemn somebody to hell 
for never having been given the opportunity to even see the path to salvation. But Ben doesn't get that. Ben doesn't actually understand that. Ben doesn't recognize that individual agency is largely dictated by the circumstances and uh, uh, options you have available to you, and that there are people in this country who just aren't given the options that allow them to make those good decisions, like to believe in Christ, as all of you should. Because we're not degenerates here. Totally agree with this. And this is why I think the worst thing that you can say to a kid is you're born behind the eight ball and no matter what you do, you're not going to succeed. Nobody tells their kids that. Nobody tells their kids that. Conservatives say people tell their kids that. You go to any fucking, you go to the hood in any fucking inner city community in America, you find me one motherfucking mom who's telling her little boy that he's never going to make it for anything because he's black. Find me one. Now, you might find some parents saying their kids are never going to make it for anything because they're shitty parents, but it's not, a race, it's not a race thing. What they say is, things are going to be harder for us, but I hope you make it. That's what they say. This idea that victim culture means believing you're never going to make it, nobody fucking believes this. Nobody does this. It's literally the worst thing you can say to a kid. What you should be saying is, look at how your grandfather was born behind the eight ball, and look how hard he had to work in order to get ahead. Wait, so your grandfather gets to be born behind the eight ball, but you can't? Wait, what? Look at all the opportunities. That's true, though. But if your grandfather wasn't ahead, didn't get ahead, if your grandfather was in and out of jail, if your father was in and out of jail, everyone around you is like that, if there's literally no influence that's positive in your life, the idea of saying to a kid like that, hey, don't pick up a gun and shoot somebody, it's way, that's way too simplistic a version of, of their future, in my, in my, well, I mean, my, yeah, and keep in mind, because people like Ben are very simplistic, yeah, and notice how Ben is not engaging at all with what Joe Rogan is saying. Nobody is saying it's okay to just pick up a gun and shoot people, but let's, a- let's actually recognize what needs to be done here. Why do people pick up guns and shoot people? I tell you, people do not pick up guns and shoot people because no one has ever told them to pick up guns and shoot people. In fact, I would t- hey, I'll tell you this, folks. You know how many times my mom has told me not to do crime? Zero. I was born in Beverly Hills. I was never told not to do crime. And now, the only crime I do is being a degenerate online. Do you know how often uh, kids in the hood get told not to fuck around with gangs or do crime by their parents? Do you have any fucking idea how frequently that conversation is had? That is some 24-7 shit. It turns out, just telling people that doesn't really actually address the problem. What if it's more along the lines of you live, you're black, you're 18, you've got a single mother, your mother's working two jobs, but she's got a back problem. She can barely make enough money to pay rent and pay for your food. College is not even an option. Your high school was barely funded enough to have the teachers even show up and give a shit. The idea of you being able to get high enough test scores was, well, not impossible, at the very least statistically unlikely. College is definitely not an option now. There are no good jobs in the area, and your mom's starting to rack up medical bills that she can't uh, uh, pay for because she's not being given enough hours at any of her jobs to get medical insurance. But hey, it turns out you live in gang territory, and you know who has the money in the hood? Gangs do, because they run drugs. 
and they run drugs because they're in the same position you're in. So what do you do? Do you spend the rest of your life watching your mom die and wilt away because you have no chance whatsoever of making enough money to be able to pay off her medical bills? Do you just move? Do you just somehow summon the thousands of dollars necessary to move somewhere else and just find jobs and then get her medical insurance? Or do you do the thing that a bunch of other young black men have done, which is recognize that they already live in a fucked up neighborhood, they might as well get a cut of it. Uh, well, um, what they actually could do is um, they could, uh, first of all, obviously, they would need to rat out those gang members to the police. After that, uh, they, uh, they could go to a local library and do an e-startup business uh, and engage in e-commerce. Uh, you can use Squarespace and get a free subscription to build a website. And what you could then do is, do you have any creative talents? Uh, for, well, co computer coding, uh, something to that effect. I don't know. Always an individualistic explanation. But when this happens time and time again, people after people after people, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people in this position, hundreds of thousands, maybe, in varying extents, you know, to varying degrees. It's not about individual decision-making. It's about the neighborhood. Everything I just described was about the neighborhood that kid was born into. Everything. The school they went to, their chances at college, the availability of work around the place, the work that his mom was able to get. All of it came down to the hood, and he didn't choose to be born in the hood. I imagine if you could take most uh, black kids born in the hood, they would probably choose to switch birthplaces with me. Because I didn't do homework, and I didn't pay attention in school. And I did just fine anyway, because I had access to excellent resources and excellent parents. And my parents weren't just excellent because they're good people, they're excellent because they make enough money to not have to work two or three jobs, which means they have the energy to give me attention when I want it. Because when I was growing up, my mom didn't have to work until I was old enough to take care of my little brother. So I could spend time with her. And that was bonding time that helped me develop as a person. When I needed help in school, I could, uh, I, I could uh, uh, rely on my parents to be able to provide resources for me. I could do fun things that weren't just fucking other people. You know, that's a big problem with poor folk as well. If you're poor as shit, there's nothing to do. What do you do? You don't have a fucking good television. You don't have a PlayStation. It's like you don't... It's difficult to find... Pay. Yeah, you run around outside. Or when you're older, you fuck. I mean, what? It's Fucking's fun. That definitely is a thing you can do. Me? Why would I... Why would I ever fuck? I have the goddamn internet. Why would I ever fuck? I have the I have hundreds of games on my Steam account. Why would I ever sink to that level? All of it comes down to the opportunities we were born with. And while individual agency matters, it matters a whole hell of a lot. It matters individually. That's how individuality works. Individual agency should be addressed individually. I love you, Hyena. But when we're talking about a social problem, individual agency is not a lens of analysis that provides us any utility. The problem is I don't see an alternative solution. I right, when you're talking about solutions. Solu no, notice how hard he concedes on this. Listen to this. Uh, I don't... Uh, oh, oh my fucking God, I hate Ben Shapiro so much, dude. Holy shit. 
So Joe Rogan just asking simple questions gets gets Ben Shapiro to go like, uh, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know what we do about it. Like, I get all right, I guess. I don't know what we do about it. He completely concedes in his fucking points. And now it's just like, well, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what are we going to do, right? Well, I don't know. We could do any of the dozens of things criminologists have been begging we do for decades now. It's not, uh, I, I, well, my, me and my genius brain can't think of any way to deal with systemic poverty in, on long racial lines in America. I, I can't think of anything over the course of the 30 seconds I've had to think about this. Uh, so, I, I mean, I guess all we can really do is, you know, sit here on our talk shows on YouTube and get millions of views watching uh, 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 from people listening to us talk about how uh, black people just need to make better decisions. I think an alternative solution is there has to be some sort of large-scale intervention in these communities to do something about what 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 has already been set in motion and the momentum that keeps continuing decade after decade. That, that, I don't know. Joe, I love you, Joe. I hope you know that. I Listen, Joe, you platform a lot of wacky people, okay? You platform some good people. You platform a lot of bad people, but I love you. I hope you know that. I love you, Joe. You endorsed, you endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders. Had a lot of good conversations. You're still pretty transphobic, like pretty actively transphobic. Uh, 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 I'm not giving you credit on that. I'm just saying just for this, just for talking about systemic racism with Ben, I give you props. I actually wonder what the comments are like um, down here. Like, are, uh, who are they siding with, you know? This was one of the best debates I've watched in recent times. I wish we could have more of these conversations without labeling anyone shaming or name-calling. Well, that's the issue. Ben Shapiro should be shamed because he is lying and backpedaling on everything he says here. That's the thing. This is like wine mom civility politics. The only thing they're looking for here is like an intense discussion between two men. That's and that's it. But I don't I don't think it's not a best debate. Ben is conceding everything but not acknowledging he's conceding it. This is what every political discussion should be like. No, not every political discussion should be between two political commentators where one of them just asks simple questions and the other one backpedals constantly and then just throws out new arguments to, to avoid conceding an empirical and obvious reality. I love how even though they're not agreeing on a whole lot, they're having a very polite yet challenging discussion without personal attacks or insults. I'm going to kill myself, dude. That's all they care about. They don't actually care about ideas. This is literally, I just want to grill enlightened centrism. They don't actually give a fuck about the ideas or how honest anyone's being or the fact that all Joe is doing is asking questions where Ben is consistently conceding points or the fact that Ben will concede a point and then challenge the premise of the point that he conceded in the next sentence. They don't care about any of that. They just like seeing two dudes... Uh, uh, talk nice to each other. Hats off to Joe for presenting his rebuttal in a calm, measured way. Pay attention, kids. This is how we change things in a civilized society. Not really, no. So, because nothing's going to change after this. None of Ben's fans are smart enough to recognize that he's conceded all of the points that he's made millions arguing uh, uh, against. And none of Joe's fans have really learned anything here because they seem more interested in jerking themselves off over how they're not like those screechy SJW BLM protesters. No, nothing is accomplished through this, except through people like us, the people who are watching this right now, who are actually intelligent enough to understand 
uh, uh, the, th this debate and the metrics by which these people are engaging with each other are large brains. Imagine living in Japan and not having to hear about race all day must be hell. Is that an ethno-state comment? Japan is like super racist. I don't know. This is a model of how two people with differing views can conduct a respectful and productive debate. Beautiful work. You know, I just want to say the only reason why Ben Shapiro isn't outright lying like, and attacking Joe Rogan here is because it's Joe Rogan. If I was, the one, if I was in Joe Rogan's place and I was saying everything Joe Rogan said in exactly the same tone, Ben Shapiro would be attacking me and talking to me uh, about how I'm trying to destroy America. The only reason he's not doing it here is because Joe Rogan is a massive media figure who doesn't tend to go very hard. If you have this exact conversation with anyone else replacing Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro would go right back to his dipshit, pathetic, fragile behavior. Like that BBC Andrew, uh, interview with Neil, where uh, just being asked simple questions caused him to rage out and uh, leave the interview early when all he was being done was ask simple questions on hypocrisy between his book title and the behavior he engages in. Yeah, and Neil was a pretty staunch conservative as well. Yeah, he called him a leftist. Ben Shapiro is a fragile little bitch boy who's only keeping it together here because he's up, uh, up against Joe Rogan, a massive like public figure. That's it. So no, conversations like this are not the way we fix society because nobody's recognizing that Ben Shapiro is conceding anything and the only reason he's doing that is because he's a little bitch boy. A real productive conversation would be uh, uh, in an environment where A, we would have fact checkers and B, uh, somebody would be actively calling Ben Shapiro out on his um, misuse of language. Well, what could be done? Uh, well, but that, that's the problem is that I think that a lot of the solutions that have been proposed have already been tried. Meaning like that, for, okay, so like? for example, LBJ thought that the way to alleviate a lot of these inequalities was the war on poverty. And he, he openly talked about this. He talked about, he gave a speech very famously in which he said, we're trying to guarantee equality of outcome, not just equality of opportunity, equality of... No, he didn't. He did not say that. He didn't say that. Nobody has ever in the history of the, of the, of the universe has ever said they want equality of outcome for all people. That, is, that, doesn't, that has never happened. Equality of outcome isn't even a policy. Yeah, for, first of all, you're not talking about a policy, okay? Equality of outcome doesn't mean anything. Second of all, the war on poverty did do some things to help, but you're not talking specifically about an address to the racial divide. You're talking about just a war on poverty in general. And third of all, what if we just didn't do it good enough? Why don't you talk about specific policies and then what went wrong with them rather than just broadly speaking about some broad proposal sort of generalizing what its outcomes were? ...outcome, and you can't hold the race where somebody is starting 20 yards behind mm -hmm. and then fire the gun and say, okay, it's an equal race, right. right? So you have to get the person who's 20 yards behind to actually get up to the starting line yeah. so that they're equal. And so the idea was we're going to fight this war on poverty and alleviate poverty largely through transfer payments and, and through the government taking a forcible step in favor of alleviating people's lives. We've now... It, oh, that is so general. Notice how he's not actually committing to anything. Uh, yeah, the war on poverty was when the government took a step into people's lives. What the fuck are you talking about? 
Notice how he can't. I ah, real real general with the policies there. God, I wish Joe Rogan could go a little harder. What do you mean exactly, Ben? In what ways didn't the war on poverty introduce Medicare and Medicaid, or like or like bolster it substantially? I remember there being a relationship between these things. Um, is that not the case? It was food stamps? Here, hold on. The war on poverty created Medicare and Medicaid? Yes, that. Yeah, the social created Medicare and Medicaid. You mean like what a huge number of Americans are currently Yeah, like and food stamps. Yeah, wait, these were these were very helpful. Like it didn't fix everything, but yeah, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare programs, and food stamps. If it weren't for these things, a fuck ton of Americans would just be dead. Like, this is just fuck the poor. This isn't even necessarily a race that... Uh, but he just describes this as the government getting more involved in people's lives. He just... It, that's... This is the transcript of the LBJ speech he is misquoting. In his commencement address at Howard University, Lyndon Johnson expressed his support for equal outcomes policies directed at black Americans. He linked economic rights with civil rights and equality of outcome with equality of opportunity. He said, it is not enough to open the gates of opportunity. All our citizens must have the ability to walk through those gates. This commitment to equality led to race and gender-based quotas and preferences. These policies in turn led to legal and political challenges on the grounds of reverse discrimination. Yeah, so this is more, this is more about... Um, making sure everyone has the opportunity equally to, um, uh, to engage with the, um, uh, the social policies that were provided. Now, you can make arguments about, um, uh, uh, about race and gender-based quotas. You can make arguments about affirmative action. And I think there are actually decent arguments that can be made for and against these things. Reverse discrimination, blah, blah, what have you. But the idea that like leftists are trying to make it so that every person gets the exact has the exact same life what does equality of outcome even mean yeah what this essentially is saying if you have equal opportunities you will have more equal outcomes well that is certainly the case obviously if if you have unequal opportunities that you will subsequently have more unequal outcomes Obviously, there will always be differences between people's outcomes. I just don't know what equality of outcome means. Does it mean everyone has the exact same, like, job? Does it mean everyone goes to the same classroom? Even if you have schools that are all funded exactly the same across the country, they're going to vary in quality. It's just about making a general good-faith effort to do the best you can to ensure everyone has kind of an equal shot at life. It's that simple. It's that simple. I, I see people in chat are just talking about LBJ's dick, but yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I, personally, I mean, that's literally what the American myth is founded on. The American dream. The idea that if we all try, we can make it. That is fundamentally an argument in favor of equality for opportunity. But by implementing equality for opportunity, you narrow uh, the relative disparity in outcomes. Spent $22 trillion in the war on poverty, and we have about the same number of black Americans living under the poverty line as we're living under the poverty line by the late 70s. 
with welfare, food stamps, Medicare, and Medicaid. So significantly better than they would be otherwise. Uh, correlation doesn't equal causation, Ben. You would need to demonstrate that none of these policies specifically had any benefit uh, to uh, uh, amending the black-white um, income gap. Then you would have to indicate that this change had nothing to do with the fact that conservative presidents afterwards would largely... Uh, surrender on the war on poverty, and then you would have to prove that the failure of these policies, if you could even prove the existence of that, uh, were in large part a product of not those individual policies' failings, but actually an impossibility of addressing this gap at all. The, the, the real issue... Wouldn't the burden of proof fall on us to demonstrate the policies are valid? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not there. Also, also, no, because whether or not those policies are valid... Um, has nothing to do with the broader argument that changing environment can address systemic racism. Because that's a very easy argument for me to prove. Very, very easy. Ben Shapiro is the one making the argument that the specific failure, if it even is a failure, of policies associated with the war on poverty indicates that environmental changes cannot address uh, racial um, uh, bias. Which, again, kind of makes it sound like he's making a genetic argument, where he's saying no change to environment can affect the disparity. That is a weird position to take. Issues that that are inter that are, that are creating intergenerational poverty. Everyone knows this, but remains true. The number one predictor of intergenerational poverty in the United States remains single motherhood. The single motherhood rate in the black community was twenty percent in nineteen sixty. It is upward of seventy percent today. Ah, so as I said about Ben Shapiro making the argument that black people were better off during Jim Crow, I wonder what social conditions led to there being a lessened degree of um of marriage amongst black people. Do you think it is because they are genetically inferior? Or do you think there might be environmental factors which led to that difference? Because remember, if it's their culture, why is their culture making them like that? Generally speaking, criminologists say that it is a combination of the war on drugs, the uh, prison industrial complex, and um, to an extent, yes, culture, that affect the single motherhood rate, specifically for black people. Um, but Ben is once again mixing up correlation and causation here. How do you know, Ben, that the, um, that the poverty in black communities is a product of single motherhood and not that single motherhood is a product of the, that poverty in addition to other characteristics? You don't. I know you don't. That's not unique to the black community, by the way. It's true in the white community as well. The 5% of white kids were born out of wedlock in 1960. Today, it's upward of 40%. That is not... Something has happened, and it is not a matter of increased racism. That's not happening because of increased racism. Wait. If you're making the argument that the increase in out-of-wedlock births has, inc has increased for black and white people, then you're not making an argument that just... Then, then this has nothing to do with anything then it has nothing to do with the racial divide. We're not just talking about poverty. We're talking about why the black-white gap is so wide. Then it has nothing to do with anything. I didn't know that stat for white, for white people out of wedlock births. I wasn't aware of that. That's wonderful. Now it's completely irrelevant to the black-white uh, uh, um, economic gap. It's fan that's fantastic. Now I don't even have to pretend to bother with that argument anymore because the change is reflected across both racial groups. That's, thank you, Ben. I don't know why you would take the time to invalidate your own argument like that.
right? That, that is happening because there's been a cultural change that does not place tremendous emphasis for black or white or for anybody on personal responsibility and personal agency. There need then it has nothing to do with the gap. Needs to be a mindset change. We do this, by the way, in all other areas of American life, except for the most important decisions. In the area of sports, nobody does this routine. In the area, this is a point Shelby Steele makes. In the area of sports, if a kid is not, does not have a good jump shot, nobody says to him, you know what, you don't have a good jump shot because your father didn't have a good jump shot, his grandfather didn't have a good jump shot, and the game is biased against you. We say, okay. If no, wait, but that's true. You might not have a good jump shot because you're short, and you might be short because your dad was short, and you might... First of all, sports aren't society. Sports are literally a game designed to facilitate high-level play between individuals, where the only thing that matters in the game is your ability to perform. So you are literally using the least applicable argument possible here. Because in the case of uh, uh, sports, to discriminate against people with regards to their actual play based on stuff like racial characteristics would be antithetical to the goals of the sports. Even back during Jim Crow days, I mean, we had um, uh, um, uh, 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 black boxers on top of the world, you know, with um, and that's because the goals of sports players and of sports, uh, you know, uh, facilitators are not even remotely comparable to society at large. It's just a terrible, terrible analogy. And even then, you could make the argument, if you wanted to make some sort of equal opportunity sports game, which nobody wants, by the way, we want the highest people at the very top of the sports game. We don't want equal opportunity when it comes to who is, uh, 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 um, who is allowed uh, uh, to play in, in the NBA or whatever. We want equal opportunity for everyone to have the ability to join the NBA. There's a big difference between those things. But yeah, if you wanted to have some sort of equal opportunity sports team, yeah, you could easily make the argument. You could make the argument that, oh, yeah, well, the reason why you're shit at this, uh, 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 Vosh, is because you're a pasty white boy who was born in Beverly Hills and you grew up on computer games and you had absolutely no interest in developing any of your latent physical abilities because you found it way more fun to play Diablo 2 or StarCraft Brood War. And for those reasons, because of circumstances relating to your birth and to the interests of your nerdy father who got you into video games at a young age, you were biased against any opportunity to be good at sports. It's entirely possible that if I was born to a different family in a different neighborhood, I might be a football player. Back in high school, when I thought weightlifting was fun because I was because uh, I wanted to be, bi be big and shiny, back in fucking high school, I was one of the uh, strongest kids just because I would weightlift like semi-casually. I had latent physical abilities. And you know what? It was fun. Now I don't work out anymore because I, because you know what? Diablo 4 is coming out soon, baby. Because I'm still on my grind where it counts. The point is, these biases exist everywhere. It's a matter of when and where you want to address them. If you want to be on the team, you're going to have to learn to shoot. Diablo 4 is going to be shit. Shoot a jump shot. Right? That, that right, sounds harsh. That sounds you, bad. But, but sports are different. And here's why sports you, are Joe. different. Because sports, you enter them independently of your culture. You, 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 you base what you're trying to do on the parameters of the rules and the people that you're competing against. That's how you look at it. So you, whatever culture you're from, you, you walk into this new thing with this very rigid set of rules. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't three point that, line. I don't think white people or Jews or Asians have a monopoly on valuing education or a monopoly on hard work or punctuality or anything. I think that black people have exactly the... the Holy shit! Ben, is your neck okay? Because that pivot, that whiplash could kill a fucking giraffe. Holy fuck.
Wow, that sent those sentences you just said had literally nothing to do with the sentences Joe Rogan just said. That was incredible. Just so I can, I want to make, just really quickly, I want to draw a graph just so like the, I know we have Ben Shapiro fans watching in the YouTube chat right now. Hello guys, I love you all so much, okay? What's up? Um, just so you guys can understand, okay? It's always, it's always pink, it's my text is pink. There we go, alright, look at this, okay? Imagine you have sports, okay? So here's the issue. Right now, uh, when it comes to the baseline level of ability to get into sports, there are differences between different groups. Some of these differences are natural and some of these differences are not natural. Tall people are always going to have more of an advantage of basketball, that sort of thing. Um, so you're gonna have like variants like, like, like this, okay? There might be variances along racial groups as well. When it comes to the NBA, for example, because uh, black culture tends to prioritize performance and stuff like basketball, more young black kids are going to be interested in be performing well at that. Whereas, like, a white kid might be more interested in, I don't know, bowling. Okay? Now, there are biases uh, in uh, why, in the extent to which people have the ability to get invested in, so let's say, NBA play. Okay? But NBA itself, NBA itself is an organization that only accepts the best of the best, as I understand it. Okay? which means that the lineup here for the NBA is consistent with regards to skill. Now, there's a difference between saying, I want everyone to be able to have the same ability to get interest in NBA, the same ability to have access to playing basketball, which is down here, and saying, I want everyone to have the same ability to play in the NBA, which is up here. The latter is ridiculous. You don't want to equal opportunity the bar for which you start elite performance in sports. You want to equal opportunity down here, the bar where people get started. This is the very definition of the difference between um, uh, um, uh, equality of outcome and equality of opportunity right here, okay? If we decided that we really desperately wanted to make sports equally accessible to everyone, we would address equality of opportunity. We can have every white boy suburb in the hills have a basketball court every couple of square miles or something, I don't know. And not up here, equality of outcome. Same capacity as any people of any other race to do all of these things and those are the preconditions for success so you either meet them or you don't i mean that, right. that's true for everybody but don't for success but don't you think that a lot of that is predicated on the environment that you develop in and the people that you're around and the, the lives that you imitate and the influences sure. that you have around you someone has to do something to influence those kids in a different way look i was very fortunate when i was young that i discovered martial arts and it Remember at the beginning of this conversation when Ben Shapiro conceded that environment and history can have long-standing effects on a community's performance, and now Joe Rogan is go having to go over that exact same point because Ben Shapiro, after initially conceding that, immediately then made arguments against that fact? It kept me from being what I could have potentially been a, a bad kid. I, it, it gave me something to focus on. There's... And, and I didn't grow up in a bad environment, but it wasn't the best. 
there's a lot of people out there that grow up in horrific environments and they never have that thing. They never have something. They, they don't have a father around or they don't have a mother around or whatever, whatever bad influences they have are overwhelming. And they, they don't, it's, it's very difficult for someone to just, air quotes, get their shit together. It's very difficult. For sure. That's I disagree with Joe Rogan's take here. It doesn't matter how good, how easy or how difficult it is for someone to quote unquote get their shit together. This would be a take. This would be an argument I would have with like a reasonable, sympathetic human being, not with Ben Shapiro. Um, you don't need to demonstrate this. If you can demonstrate that people's outcomes are affected by their environment and that the environment is fucked up on account of racism, that's all you need to do. Now, you can, if you want, go the extra mile and say that this reliance on hyper-individualistic uh, explanations for improving your, your life situation, you know, um, or, or, or hyper-individualistic solution-making is, is detrimental because it ignores the reality of people's lives. And that would also be true. I want you to find me like a psychologist or like a group psychiatrist or an anthropologist who would make the argument that just telling people to do better will make people do better. I would be interested in seeing if you could if you could find that you know like oh how do we how do we fix the black white economic divide what if we what okay here's my thought what if we sneak a Ben Shapiro segment into the next Tyler Perry movie okay and it'll be two minutes of Ben Shapiro talking directly at the camera unwaveringly with his watery eyes and he'll say how important it is to do good and to not do crimes. And then, uh, the uh, um, and then uh, you know uh, the 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 imbalance will be redressed. And if you don't think that would work, then you have to acknowledge that stupid bullshit, uh, co-funded uh, 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 pep talks about personal responsibility don't do anything to solve social problems. Why to this day there's so many books about losing weight? Don't you think everybody wants to lose weight? That's fat. They do. They, everybody who's fat wants to be thin. They do. But it's fucking hard. For sure. And that's nothing in but comparison to... Fat bitches in the chat rise up. Changing your whole life. But, the, but you would say about somebody losing weight, you know what's not useful here is lamenting how bad your family has had it with regard to losing weight. Like, at a certain point, if you want to lose the weight, you got to figure out a way to lose the weight. That but that's the difference, Ben. There's a difference between talking to an individual and talking about millions of people. So if you're talking about an individual, you might want to give individual advice about personal responsibility. But if you're talking about the fact that two-thirds of the United States is overweight or obese, it might be better to talk about, like, I don't know, why the fuck all of our cheapest food companies are pumping all everything we eat uh, full of incredibly unhealthy and addictive chemicals that destroy our bodies. What changes have been made between now and 1950 that have led to the obesity rate skyrocketing? Did everyone just stop making good decisions between now and 1950? Is that what happened? Back in 1950 to now, everyone just like, bloop, just kerplunk, all of our brains just stopped? Or do you think perhaps there were differences in the environment and the available, you know, uh, 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 resources we would use to create our food, sugar, corn lobby, high fructose corn syrup? that may have led to a change, broadly speaking. In, yeah, the great kerplunk of 1950. The point is, there's nothing wrong with preaching personal responsibility to individuals. In fact, I would do that. Find me some impoverished 
inner city black kid, okay? And this kid asks me, Vosh, you're so talented and cool. How can I uh, uh, live a privileged life such as yourself? And I would probably, this is a fantastical conversation, I know, but uh, we'll work with it. And I would open by saying, okay, well, first of all, I, I mean, I got really lucky. But second of all, okay, you can't meaningfully improve your circumstances by lamenting the imbalances between the circumstances of your birth and my birth. Even though those are valid things to talk about. I'll talk about that with you any day. But it probably doesn't fix anything for you individually. So individually, let's talk about what you can do. Have you considered night classes? Have you considered taking extra hours here? Have you considered cutting off these toxic family members who keep asking you for money? You know, this, that, and the other. Individual responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that rhetoric when we're talking to an individual. But when we're talking about a system or large groups of people, we address these issues systemically. This segment will be like two hours long. Who cares? That's true, yeah, but we this get... is based on the information that I have. I have this vast scope of information that I've been able to absorb. If you're in these isolated environments and everyone around you is involved in gangs and crime and drugs, it's very difficult to model yourself after something that you don't see in real life. Well, so totally. One of the reasons why, by the way, representation in media is important. It doesn't mean that every single cartoon show, a gang of cartoon kid characters needs to have one black kid, one white kid, one ginger, one disabled kid, um, and uh, Bob, you know. Uh, but it does mean that uh, it's a little, it's a little weird. Like, imagine being a black kid back in the back in like the fifties or something. And whenever you turn on the TV, the only time you ever see black people is like maids, you know. It doesn't, it, it's, people are inspired by the things they see. Uh, there was actually a study done on this from the increase in women who got into detective work following that one show, The X-Files, with Scully. Because a lot of them saw, like, the lady detective, and I, The X-Files is a pretty good show, and they were like, wow, wait, that's actually really cool, yeah. Or Uhura in Star Trek, yeah. Um, they, um, and, and the representation inspired them to do something different. The fact of the matter is, a lot of people, now, I wouldn't know this, and Ben Shapiro wouldn't know this, because we're both spoiled brats, but for a lot of people, your understanding of where you can go in life is shaped by social expectation. A lot of women, especially in, like, you know, uh, the South or in more conservative areas, grow up not really believing they have the capacity to do a lot of a lot of things women can do. It's not their place, you know? There's a reason why um, uh, the relative rates of female participation in various industries and, and fields has gone up so sharply uh, uh, um, following the 1960s, following the, the women's lib movement. It's because you need, in many cases, this, this belief, this knowledge that that's a place for you, you know? Um, it, it, in a sense, it happens to me as well. What's like a cool, hip, uh, black thing? Are DJs cool? No, not really. There were so many white kids who wanted to be DJs in my fucking school. Um, e e even even for me, you know. Imagine I really wanted to be a. Um, imagine I really wanted to be a. Um, fuck me. What can I? What what can I? SoundCloud rapper. 
Imagine I wanted to be a SoundCloud rapper, okay? I've got the beats in my heart. I've got the I've got the music in my mind, okay? I want to be a SoundCloud rapper, all right? Okay? I'm feeling it, all right? But the issue is, one time, I went on a forum. I went on Reddit slash r slash SoundCloud, and I said, hey, this is me about to drop my new album, and it's a picture of me holding a, a flash drive up, and I'm, like, blindingly white. Like, it's there are two sons in the picture, it's 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 my face and the sun behind me, and um and somebody somebody in the chat calls me like a whitey or something like that, and I think, damn, I don't know, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I can't be a SoundCloud rapper, and it still hurts to this day. Okay, continue. True, totally true, and that's why, again, more information needs to get into areas. I agree with a lot of the opportunities that need to be provided by education. Getting people to be educated outside their local public school would be a good change. I mean, yes. being able to like move outside your crap local public school and, and go best, somewhere else would be good. Just move. Yeah, I like that. Not improving the public school, not giving more resources to the public school, but expecting every one of these schools to just go drive to nearby schools. That's Ben Shapiro's solution for bad schooling in the inner city. Just get just get every one of these overworked moms to drive their kids two hours there and back. Um, to the next school over and just abandon the neighborhood they're in, you know? Just have everyone abandon the neighbor you're in. Notice, no neighborhood you're in. Notice how all the solutions he provides would work for one or two people, but not for an entire, like, neighborhood. Notice how every single time he opens his mouth, he provides a solution that could conceivably work for one individual, but if applied to an entire group of people, it would be completely absurd. The best influences for kids that grow up in these environments seem to be people that have gotten out and then come back and talk to them. Right. And tell them how to do it. But and none this, of this, this has can to do, be done. But to go back to the original conversation, none uh -huh. of this has to do with telling kids that you live in an evil country that's seeking to keep you down. Well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nice fucking pivot again, my dude. Nobody, dude, I love, he can't answer anything. He'll just pivot right back to the other, like, he goes this this whole dialogue tree on um, whether or not systemic racism exists. He'll go back and forth. He'll defend. He'll attack. He'll defend. He'll attack. And then, well, I don't see what that has to do with these BLM protests. Well, maybe not. But there there has been a very small amount of emphasis placed on taking these impoverished communities and figure out how to engineer them out of the situation. Well, Social I don't think that's true. So I don't really? think that's true. Yeah, I mean, the amount that we've spent on a federal level and a state level on educational programs and poverty programs over time but, but like, no on it, a, on it, a year to year level i mean these are these are enormous quantities of money this is not a this is not yeah what wait what if it's just not enough like it's, it's that simple like we're talking about tens of millions of people in this country who live in desperate poverty that are kept in poverty by by systems we continue to fund as well you want to talk about a waste of money what about the prisons all these fucking people who get caught smoking weed have to go to you know if you want to talk about a waste of money talk about the fucking military industrial complex don't get tight-fisted suddenly when we're talking about providing better education to kids something that is not only as far as i'm concerned a human right but something that also pays out better economic outcomes we currently in this country have a deficiency of high-skilled tech workers that we are filling with H1 visa program or HP visa programs. Um, is H1 or HP? I always forget. I, you know what I'm talking about. Um, with the visa programs, um, we, we need more highly educated kids. H1 visa, thank you. Um, and we're, it's H1B, <gasps> the enlightened centrist. 
solution. It was the H1 and the H1B. I didn't think there could be three characters in there, but there were. That's incredible. Um, anyway, yeah, like, he's arguing against something that would make society better and probably enrich it in the long run. He's dooming this country. You guys realize that's what he's doing right now. He's dooming this country. He's so unwilling to address poverty that he'll let us fall behind the rest of the world as countries like India and China actually meaningfully invest in their higher education to produce better and better schools, better and better students, as we get left behind and we have to fill our, um, our employment slots with H-1B visa applicants because everyone in America is too fucking stupid, because our schools are too shit, because we don't fund them. This is, again, I know I keep, I've said this before, this is how civilizations die. People like Ben, God, he looks evil in this freeze frame, are so committed to the policies of sociopathy towards the poor that he will take the rest of the country down um, with them. Not really a money problem. It really is not a money problem in just terms of, you could sign everybody a check tomorrow, right? The, the predicate, so the, the predicate for the slavery <sighs> reparations movement is exactly this. So that is, that's not how you solve systemic poverty. Just cutting a check for people, that's not how you do it. And everybody a $80,000 check, and the problem will be alleviated. No, it won't. No, no, nobody... Okay. Most people who advocate for reparations advocate for, like, systemic investment in these impoverished communities. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's I right. I think they'll spend the $80,000, and they'll be right back where they started from. But I do think that there is an argument that there can be some way of engineering, whether it's community centers or education or doing something God, differently Joe. in these places to chip away at this problem. I, so on that stuff, we totally agree. The only point that I'm making about the 1619 Project is mm -hmm. when you teach people that they are the victims of a society, it makes it very difficult for them to succeed. It is really funny. Oh, I'm, I'm dropping a hot take here. It is really funny for Ben Shapiro, a Zionist Jew, to make that argument. Somebody who earlier said that through their own excellent personal decision-making, Jews were able to hack it out pretty well in America. Let me tell you, Zionist Jews are very, very quick to project narratives of, by the way, legitimate oppression on themselves. Jews are oppressed, and they do talk about it especially the Zionists. I'll tell you this. Conservatives say that Democrats are obsessed with the victim narrative. They say this all the time. You know what? I've, I knew a lot of left-leaning Jews in my neighborhood. They would never complain about being Jewish. They would make jokes about it all the time. They were very funny, lively people. You know who I... Non-stop the victim narrative about being Jewish? It's the Zionists. Because they politically benefit from it. Oh, no, he's definitely not opposed to Jewish reparations. Certainly not. He literally said he may get um, rejected for a job because of his Jewish name in the systemic racism video. Oh, true, yeah. Oh, that's definitely something that happens. You know, you, 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 you try to apply to a business firm. Your last name, you know, uh, is something like Goldstein. They're like, oh, we don't want that kind of... Uh, come on, dude. No, no. So, let me, so on, a couple of, on a couple of points here. First of all, and I, I, this bears repeating, of course. Jews are an oppressed minority. Their narrative of oppression is legitimate, and I've spoken on it many times. But the fact remains, the Jews, at least economically, are doing pretty well in this country, as you admit, Ben. 
in spite of the presence of this narrative. So maybe it's not a victim narrative that keeps people down. This is some bullshit gaslighty stuff conservatives say to tell you that the reason why you're suffering is because you're pointing out that you're suffering. It is, it is gaslighting. It is the language of the abuser. To tell you, oh, why, why do you have historically bad outcomes? Why is your entire race being stepped on by this country? Well, you know, it's because you keep pointing it out. If you just ignored the racism, it would go away. The story of, of black America should be a story of unbelievably brave people triumphing over systems that sucked. Right? I mean, that, that is the story of black America. Most black Americans do not. Wait, so does the system suck? Why do you keep conceding points like that? Wait, does the system suck or is it a perfect meritocracy? If you agree the system sucks, then yeah, let's have them persevere and overcome it with policy. I live under the poverty line in the United States. There's a huge black middle class. There's a black upper class too. Yes. There is no middle class in this country, okay? You, you're either living paycheck to paycheck as 80% of Americans, or you're not. Those are, the, those are the lower and upper classes, okay? That's it. There's no longer a meaningful middle class. You live paycheck to paycheck, or you don't. There is. Let's, let's simplify this if we can. Sure. Also, I like the pivot to there are more people out of poverty today than there were before. Completely irrelevant to what we're talking about. If Ben Shapiro is the king of the world, how do you fix oh, Baltimore? How do you fix Detroit? How do you fix the south side of Chicago? Okay, so Tyler Perry. Here's the unpopular view, but it happens to be I would put a empirically clip correct. The first empirically correct. So what Ben Shapiro is about to say is going to be empirically. So not just a matter of consensus. In academia, um, it's going to be demonstrable through verifiable, factual information. The thing you have to do is you have to load the place with police. You got to load the place with police. Ben? Ben? I know, you, I know you get off to videos of black people being clubbed to death by police, but I don't think empirically means what you think it means. Because there is not a correlation between over-policing and reduced crime. There is, in fact, a negative correlation. I'm sorry. No, there is. It's just not in the direction you think it goes in. Police, because you have to stop crime. Once you stop crime, then businesses are happy to invest in those areas. Wait, why do you have to stop crime? Why don't they just not do crime? Why would you ever invest society's resources ever towards... Uh, uh, towards changing the likelihood of people committing crime or stopping it. Why? You're not going to get businesses to invest in those areas and provide jobs unless the crime is gone. Mm. You need, in fact, one of the reasons that you have such a vast differential in racial crime in the United States is because of white racism. And this is a point that Jane Levy, writer for the LA Times, has made. And she wrote a book called Ghetto Side, and she points out that the reason that black crime was so high in the early 20th century and late 19th century is because basically white communities said to black communities, you're on your own, right? Enjoy. And so the crime rates ended up spiking because there were no police there. You have to make sure that law-abiding people are protected. No. They didn't... Wait, so during the 1990s, there just weren't any police in black communities? What the fuck are you talking about? White America left black America behind in the sense that we pulled out of those communities with white flight and stopped investing in them. Because we abandoned the war on poverty. 
Jesus Christ. Do you think there were like no police in, in Chicago in the 1990s? Have you seen RoboCop? There was a RoboCop. The fact of the matter is Ben Shapiro, uh, 1890s, sorry, 1990s. Um, I don't know how much crime there was in Chicago during the 1890s, to be honest. Um, yeah, Ben Shapiro is empirically wrong on this one. If Ben Shapiro, so what Ben Shapiro, a libertarian, by the way, is saying is that um, uh, what Ben Shapiro is saying is that we need to commit a fuck ton of money to policing black communities. Now, I have not seen any data to substantiate the idea that over-policing reduces crime in neighborhoods. In fact, the opposite effect may in fact be the case for a wide variety of reasons, the most easy of which to explain is as follows. If you have more police in a neighborhood, there will be more people arrested for committing crime because there are more police there to notice and respond to crimes. Make sense? The more people that are arrested, the more fathers, the more sons get taken away from their families and get thrown into jail, which then perpetuates a cycle of poverty that increases the likelihood of people committing crime again in the future. The solution is not more police. The solution is better police. The solution is better economic investment. The solution is the deconstruction of the criminal justice system as we understand it, which is presently detention centers for weed smokers. There is no data to support the argument that he is making here. But if he wants to be beholden to the data, there is a massive amount of data on things you can do with regards to police behavior to decrease uh, uh, criminality. And it is not putting a fuck ton of police in there. The law-abiding businesses are protected, that people want to live there, that people want to invest there. You have to have a reestablishment of faith in churches, right? You need social institutions outside. What the outside. fuck? All right, get this shit. I have some empirical information for you. I have some empirical data for you. If people were more religious, shut the fuck up, Ben. ...of government that are promoting things like family. You have any fucking idea how religious poor black people are? You realize poor black people have a higher degree of religiosity than white people, right? You re have, you, have you ever been to a fucking black church? These people are ins they're incredibly fucking religious. You just threw that one out there as a dog whistle. That it's just a, it's just, literally, it's just a like. Oh yeah, they need to stop engaging in degeneracy. That's essentially what he's saying here. Everything here lines up perfectly with what a racist would want too. Um, why are black people in a bad position? Oh well, I don't know. Probably not because of racism. And if it is because of racism, they should stop talking about it. What do we need to do about it? Well, we need more police to keep them in to keep the criminals in line to protect the what I mean the uh, law abiding businesses. What do we need to do with their institutions? Well, they should probably be spending more time in church, even though they already do. Like, everything here lines up perfectly, perfectly, with, um, with what a racist would want. You need, you need more, the, one of the reasons you need more companies in these areas is they can offer educational opportunities to kids, internships, deals to go to college and then come back and work oh, for Oh, yeah, internships. That's what inner city kids who are struggling to buy their next fucking uh, grocery meal need internships oh yeah that's the ah that's the god you can just you can tell he has no fucking idea what he's talking about for a couple of years right you need opportunity the same way that opportunity is built anywhere else on earth you need to
by uh, by ha- having your college education paid for so you can go to uh, law school and go to internships while every single financial expense you incur is being paid for by everybody around you you know how you you know how you get ahead in life to provide a safe space for business to work and for free speech to flourish and for education to be valued for free speech to flourish what the fuck does that mean and how does he think having more how does he think having more police in a neighborhood will make the schools better we have guys 20 years ago there were essentially no police at schools now we have a fuck ton of them metal detectors and the entrances too all because of columbine schools are more police than they have been in all of american history it's clearly not doing anything to improve the education what the fuck are you talking about Oh yeah, dude. That's what I. That's what fucking uh, 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 Douglas needs to get himself a good education. He needs to walk outside of his classroom, which is just as underfunded as it was before, and then see a fucking police officer staring him in the face before walking down to the cafeteria. Being in the presence of armed thugs um, is going to um, is is one is absolutely going to redress the uh, educational imbalance. You need to go in. You need to make clear to every kid if you graduate high school then you will have a shot at college, which by the way is 100% true today. If you're a black kid and you graduate high school with any level of achievement, you will have a very solid shot of at least going to a community college. And if you score even decently on the SATs of going to a very high level college, right? Affirmative action programs are extraordinarily common. No, that's, uh, I love everything he says. Everything he says. Oh yeah, if you do decently on your SATs, it's extraordinarily common for you to go to a a, a great university. What the fuck are you talking about? Also, with whose money? Even community colleges cost money. You realize that, right? And time you spend in community college is time you can't spend working. God, he's so stupid. Everything he says. Across the United States. But the, the first message is, we are going to ensure that law and order prevail here, a safe space for life, liberty, and property. This is literally virtue signaling. This has nothing to do with anything that's being said. And, and ownership of private property. Also, I like how he's saying he's going to enhance liberty by over-policing black communities. Property, And we are going to make sure that you as a law-abiding citizen have the opportunity to succeed because the biggest obstacle to young black kids growing up in the inner city, again, is not history. It is in the moment. The drugs, the crime, the fact that there are no fathers. In- Where do the drugs and the crime and the fact that there are no fathers come from, Ben? Where do they come from, Ben? Might they come from historical factors, Ben? In a lot of these areas, Roland Fryer, black professor at Harvard, he's done excellent work showing that actually the number one factor in allowing kids to, to rise is not even having a father in the home. It's how many fathers there are generally in a community. Mm. So you can, you can have a single mom, but if there are a lot of other male father figures around. That- Holy shit, he's making my argument for me. Wow. So your environment, when you're born, you don't decide how many fathers there are in the community around you. You're literally making the argument that your life circumstances are in large part dictated by the family stability of your neighborhood, which isn't a product of personal choice. That helps fill in the... Wait, who did he just say? Did he just say Roland Fryer? Kids to to rise is not even having a father... That actually the number one factor, Roland Fryer, black. Yes, this is Roland Fryer is the motherfucker who made that study about how um, uh, 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 um, actually there is no racial bias 
in hiring because um, Andre Washington and Tony Jefferson aren't discriminated against. This is that same guy. Yeah, Chloe Jefferson. Yeah. By the way, that guy backed off that study. When that guy saw how people like Ben Shapiro were abusing his data, he, re he uh, backed off that study. Because people like Ben Shapiro so dishonestly interpret the data that he collected. He was just trying to make a point about the ways in which these names are chosen for discriminatory bias. At Harvard, he's done excellent work showing that actually the number one factor in allowing kids to, to rise is not even having a father in the home. It's how many fathers there are generally in a community. Mm. So you can, you can have a single mom, but if there are a lot of other male father figures around, that helps fill in the gap, right? These, these are practical things. Giving kids the ability to pick the school they go to so they don't have to go to the local crappy public school if it's a local crappy public school. And how? How do they go there? How do they get driven there? Their parents aren't, don't have time. They are working. How do they get driven there and back? Does everyone in a poor community just abandon the local school? So there are literally no students enrolled? What if that leads to overcrowding at the adjacent schools? How would you feel if you live in a nice neighborhood and then your school population increases by 40% over one semester because every fucking black kid in the adjacent neighborhood watched a Ben Shapiro video and now they all get bussed over or, or bussed over or driven over by their parents who don't have any time, which then means... Um, which then means that your school is now underfunded, and now you all have to have a subsequent... Everything you say is so destructively bad. Never put this person in charge of anything. Thank Christ all this motherfucker ended up... Thank God this guy fucking backed out. Thank God this person was too stupid to cut it as a scriptwriter in Hollywood, which he then simperingly walked away from and blamed anti-conservative bias for. If you've read his books, by the way, you know how bad of a writer he is. Uh, by the way, the Chapo Trap House episode where they go over that book he read, uh, uh, the book he wrote, uh, is, is, I think, should be in our high schools, should be uh, 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 read by every American. Um, it is no one, it is no surprise to me that he couldn't hack it in Hollywood. Um, but thank God, because if he had ended up somehow making it to be some sort of Dinesh D'Souza-esque, like, uh, like uh, filmmaker, the, the messaging, oh yeah, the book is racist as fuck too. What was the, what was the one black guy, J Tyrone Jamal Delangio, Delangio, the pimp and drug dealer who just don't like no white people, the white cop. Uh, the, the, white, the white cop struggled as, as the hulking, terrifying 10-year-old black boy stood harmlessly in front of him. But the cop fired, and the white cop shuddered as all the black people came out of the projects and started staring at them like a, literally just like a group of animals surrounding you in the fucking African prairie. You sh seriously, you should read the book or listen to the Chapo Trap House. Um, People uh, talk about it. It is, it is something else. It would be a solution here. But this all starts with the notion that it is not racist. Oh, yeah, they crawled out like roaches from a sewer. Yeah, yeah, that was real good. Ben hates black people. The slightest to suggest that law and order have to prevail and that law-abiding people should be protected in their exercise of their rights. I think you're 100% right on that, and I think although that might be an unpopular opinion, I agree with you. This is why, yeah, that's why I can't actually get behind Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan will ask, like, innocent questions, let Ben walk all over him, and then Ben gets the eight-minute, like, outro where he just lies. He just lies. See, I like Law & Order, too. Uh, the thing is, Ben Shapiro's 
suggestions for, for decreasing crime would increase crime. Everything he says is wrong, he would ruin everything. Whereas addressing the uh, poverty gap would go uh, 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 a tremendous length towards uh, redressing systemic um, uh, uh, racial biases and poverty. Anyway, yeah. Um, just as a hot reminder to everyone watching, Ben Shapiro is just a preposterously stupid person. Um, he's smart in the sense that he can like maneuver his political talking points, but I, I mean, I don't know how dishonest he's being or how much it's just like blatant unawareness. Um, oh wait, Roland Fryer didn't do the name study. He did one on police use of force. Here it is. Oh, okay. I am misattributing. Oh, he was the guy who walked back the study on the racial differences in police use of force. Okay. 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 My bad. Okay, he was not the Ryan... Thank you for that. He was not the Ryan and Chloe Washington uh, person. Okay, thank you for the clarification, yes. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. Just a, a quick reminder that Ben Shapiro is an obscenely unimpressive person. Uh, 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 just an astonishingly unimpressive person. And, uh, yeah. Okay, wow. We should probably do, uh, we should probably do donos, huh? I feel like I've earned them that time. That was a lot. I feel like I earned that one, you know? Whew. Really, really put out work for that one, you know?